The problem with temptation, of course, is that it's so darn tempting. <laughs> you know that cartoon image that depicts an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other? That image does not do temptation justice. Because even in those instances where we know the right decision to make, it never feels that easy or that clear. And that's because it isn't the bad things that tempt us, but the good ones. No one wakes up in the morning, kisses a beloved spouse, and then heads out the door determined to commit adultery. <laughs> Instead, it's when the marriage at home is broken, when the love between spouses is nothing more than a memory that one begins to look for that love in other places and in other people. Giving and receiving love isn't a sin. It's a beautiful thing. It is a powerful, life-changing thing to hear another human being say, I love you and mean those words. And it is equally powerful and changing when we are able to say them back with equal devotion. But when we start to look for that love somewhere other than our spouse, we take what would be good and twist it or pervert it. That's temptation. Temptation is seeking something good in the wrong place or for the wrong reason. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth, those things we call the seven deadly sins, they're really just good things taken to a bad end. It is good for every one of us to know our intrinsic value as human beings made in the image of God, but an inflated sense of one's importance, that becomes pride. It is good for all of us to have the material resources we need to sustain this life, but many don't, because so many have been tainted with greed and buy into that false belief that security is only found when we have a little bit more and then a little bit more and yet again a little bit more. Those around us who excel invite us to strive for greatness and work hard, but when unbalanced, that drive within us so easily becomes envy. All of our sin and all of our temptation to sin is born in goodness. If it were not so, we wouldn't be tempted at all. That makes this gospel lesson something bigger than a story about making good choices. It becomes a story about Jesus discovering who he is, confirming his true identity in the face of temptation. After 40 days in the wilderness fasting, Jesus is approached by the devil who says, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. Jesus is the son of God. And as we'll see later in the gospel, he has the power to feed the multitude even in the wilderness. And what's so wrong with bread? What's so bad about the son of God changing stones into loaves? so that everyone might have his or her fill. Jesus, with one wave of his hand, could satisfy not only his own hunger, but the hunger of the whole world. What's wrong with that? Well, it denies the truth 
that God gives us all we need and already has, that we are surrounded by an abundance that God provides. In an instant, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and says, these can be yours if you will just fall down and worship me. We know what's wrong with worshiping the devil, of course, but what's wrong with Jesus having that authority? Isn't he the king of kings and lord of lords? Isn't he the one destined to overthrow the unholy empires of this world so that God's people might be set free? But to grab that power and exert it over others isn't God's way. God is humble. God is gentle. God comes among us as servant. Jesus' reign must be manifest in weakness, in powerlessness, in suffering, and even in death. So even if the end result were a good thing, getting there the devil's way makes it the wrong path. Finally, the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and invites Jesus to confirm once and for all that he really is who the Hebrew Bible says he is. Quoting the psalm that we read together a few minutes ago, the devil reminds Jesus that God's anointed one will be held in the hands of angels so that he will not dash his foot against a stone. The devil invites Jesus to throw himself off and trust that God will catch him. It must have been tempting, even for a moment, to do that, if not to shut the devil up, then perhaps to solve that last lingering doubt that Jesus had in his mind, or maybe to prove to the world that God is faithful, that God keeps God's promises. But the keeping of those promises isn't up to us, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that tempting though it is to use God's word to justify oneself, to wield the scripture as if it were a weapon to defend our cause, that's not how God's word works. God's word reveals its truth to us over time and through patience, not in an instant. Jesus is the son of God. He has the power to feed God's people in the wilderness to satisfy the hunger of the whole world. And as God's anointed one, the scriptures have foretold his reign over all the rulers of the world. But Jesus assumes that identity not by asserting himself, but by waiting on God. Not by claiming that authority for himself, but trusting that God will bring him to that moment, that the divine will will shape and direct and draw from him his gifts and his powers. It's no accident that this formative experience happens in the wilderness, that barren place beyond civilization. <coughs> that place where life is sustained through hardship. God's people, too, experienced a formative moment when they were in the wilderness, when they demanded God feed them with bread when they fell down to the golden calf, when they tested God over and over with their grumbling. Through struggle, 
and failure and repentance and return, the people of Israel discovered in the wilderness what it means to belong to God, what it means to depend on God's bounty, what it means to live within the boundaries of the divine will. We, too, are on a wilderness journey searching for our true selves, and we find it not by asserting ourselves or claiming this moment, but by sitting and listening and waiting on God. We are, as we prayed in our collect for the day earlier, we are assaulted by many temptations, and every single one of them, in one way or another, is a temptation to become our own God, to pursue our own good on our own terms, instead of waiting on the giver of all good gifts and trusting in God's salvation. The invitation God gives us is not to do more, not to assert ourselves in triumph over the one who tempts us, but to do less, to sit still and engage the holiness of waiting on God. We pursue the example of Christ, not in search of his unwavering willpower, but in search of his unwavering devotion to his true self. We, too, belong to God, and we discover our true self when we stop putting ourselves forward and wait for the one who has made us in God's image. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.